Welcome to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. We are a local church in East London, here to be a beacon of hope for Hoxton. And our mission is to worship God, make disciples, share Jesus and transform Hoxton. Good morning. For those of you that I haven't had the privilege of meeting yet, my name is Rachel and I'm the Associate Vicar here at St. John's. Let's pray. May I speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I guess like many of you here, I've I've been spending over the last few days a lot of my time tuned into the latest news unfolding of Russia's invasion into Ukraine. In a moment when I couldn't bear to continue watching, I turned on a documentary about a famous Nepalese climber who attempted to climb all 14 of the world's tallest peaks over 8,000 meters in just seven months. To put that in context, the, um, the last person who'd managed to achieve climbing all 14, it took him 16 years. Uh, And that's the uh, climber, uh, called, uh, for short, NIMS. And the documentary is entitled, Nothing is Impossible. And it sums up NIMS' conviction that with enough grit and determination, he could achieve his goal. He could turn the limelight onto the Nepalese climbers who regularly help Westerners to achieve their goals of climbing these highest mountains, but never end up getting any of the glory for it. In our gospel passage we heard read this morning, we find ourselves on a mountain, which in Christian tradition is said to be Mount Tabor, not a mountain of any comparable height to the ones Nim set out to climb, but a mountain nonetheless, in comparison to the relative flat landscape of the surrounding area. But if you have a Bible to hand, let's take a few steps back and just figure out how we ended up at Mount Tabor, at the foot of this mountain. If you have a look um, in verse 28, it reads, about eight days After Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. At first glance, our answer would appear to be that we ended up on this mountain with Jesus to pray. But verse 28 also raises some questions that need to be answered in order to fully make sense of what happens on the mountain. The motive to climb the mountain might seem plain enough to pray. But we need to ask firstly, what is it that Jesus has said eight days previously? If you skip back to verse 18 of the same chapter, Jesus is alone praying in Caesarea Philippi, and he then asks his disciples Who do the crowds say that I am? The disciples reply by saying that the crowds say three things. 
Some call him John the Baptist, who has recently been beheaded by Herod. Others called him one of Israel's long dead prominent prophets, Elijah. Others hedging their bets to not name a specific prophet, instead saying, well, it's one of the ancient Israelite prophets come back to life. Jesus, not satisfied, wants to know who they, his disciples, think he is. But who do you say that I am? It is Peter who gives the answer, God's Messiah. Peter makes the astonishing profession of faith in Jesus, that this is no ordinary teacher, not even a prophet like John the Baptist, Elijah, or Moses. This is God's promised, chosen, anointed one, the one the whole of Israel had been waiting for to liberate them, to bring them freedom and healing. And more than that, this Messiah was not just an ordinary human being, but the Son of God, God in human form. So what happens next? Peter's cracked it. He gets it. So surely that means the disciples need to rush off and tell everybody who Jesus is, right? Wrong. Jesus strictly warns them in verse 21 not to tell this to anyone. Why? Why on earth would Jesus not be over the moon with Peter finally recognizing who he is and now want Peter to start building the church with the rest of the disciples? Again, the answer is in the text. In verse 22 and 23, Jesus explains what the Messiah has come to do and what being a disciple a follower of Jesus meant. Jesus knew what, that the Messiah, coming as the Messiah, meant great suffering, rejection by the Jewish religious leaders of the day, and finally being killed. But the one glimmer of hope is that this death was not final. On the third day, he would come back to life. Suffering, rejection, death. Not the Messiah the Jewish people were hoping for. The Messiah they hoped for was one who would crush the Roman occupying army, boot them out, and then this Messiah be crowned as the glorious King of Israel, just as King David had been. Suffering, rejection, death. Not the Messiah Peter was hoping for. Both Matthew and Mark record that Peter's response to this manifesto of Jesus was outrage and giving Jesus a strong rebuke. So that's the background to when we find ourselves about eight days later at the foot of this mountain, as Jesus chooses Peter 
James and John to climb Mount Tabor with him. At the top of the mountain, while Jesus is praying, Peter, James and John are trying to stay awake. Ring any bells? Sound familiar? Perhaps hinting towards another mountain to come where Jesus prays desperately for this cup to be taken from me while his disciples fall asleep. But suddenly sleep is the last thing on Peter, James and John's mind as they see Jesus completely transformed or, to use a posher word for that, transfigured or metamorphized like a larvae uh, going from a, a caterpillar into a butterfly. This transformation, total transformation. Jesus' face looks different His clothes have the appearance of pure white light, perhaps blinding. And if that wasn't bizarre enough, two dead prophets, Elijah and Moses, appear alive talking with Jesus. Jesus cannot be, as the crowd suggest, Elijah or Moses come back to life because here they are talking to Jesus. What on earth are they talking about? We lean in with Peter, James, and John to hear what they are saying. Jesus, Elijah, and Moses are talking about Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. We see that in verse 30. That all sounds a bit cryptic. What is this departure they speak of? The original language this account was written in was ancient Greek, and the word we have translated here into English as departure was written as exodus. Jesus, Elijah, and Moses were talking about his exodus, which he was to complete at Jerusalem. What comes to mind when we hear the word exodus? If we're reminded of the Old Testament accounts of God sending Moses to rescue the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, we aren't far wrong. The Exodus, which is remembered yearly at the celebration of Passover, where a lamb is slain. If God already brought his people out of the slavery of Egypt by the hand of Moses into the promised land of Israel, why on earth would there be a need for Jesus to be speaking with Moses and Elijah about some kind of new exodus that would take place in Jerusalem, which was part of the promised land? If we're feeling confused, we are in good company with the disciples. And perhaps it now makes more sense as to why Peter didn't want Moses and Elijah to leave. He wanted, perhaps, to make them shelters on the mountain so that he could hear more from these two Israelite heavyweight prophets to understand what it was that was going to happen. A cloud stops him in his tracks. 
but this is no ordinary cloud. If we're feeling again a sense of familiarity in recalling Moses receiving the Ten Commandments up another mountain, Mount Sinai, and his face glowing with the glory of having seen God in the cloud, we're not too far off the mark. This was the cloud of God's presence. And from the cloud, the voice of God, the Father affirming Jesus as his Son, as he had done at Jesus' baptism, but this time with the exhortation, listen to him. As the cloud moves off, taking with it Moses and Elijah, Peter, James and John rub their eyes in disbelief and awe. And in Matthew's account, Jesus moves towards them, touches them and says, don't be afraid. So what happens now? Do Peter, James and John rush out to tell everybody about what they've seen? No. Matthew and Mark's gospel tell us that Jesus told them not to tell anyone about what they'd seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Nepalese climber I spoke about at the beginning of my talk not only succeeded in climbing all 14 of the world's tallest mountains, he beat his own target of seven months by doing it in just over six. A massive achievement. Do you think he kept it quiet? <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you think he went all through, through all of that and didn't tell anyone or his fellow climbers not to tell anyone? Of course not. That would have defeated the whole object of doing it, which was to raise awareness of how talented Nepalese climbers are to finally achieve the global recognition for climbers from Nepal to crown them with glory as the kings of climbing. So what's the point of this incredible episode up a mountain leaving Peter, James and John bound by silence, scratching their heads. And why did Jesus pick Peter, James and John in the first place? It is after this experience that Luke tells us in verse 51 that Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus' glory isn't fully revealed yet. Up the mountain, Jesus has been temporarily glimpsed as the king of God's kingdom, the one who is to fulfill the law and the prophets. But the full revelation of God's glory will not be seen here, but on the cross. Through the death of Jesus, the Lamb of God, bringing about the final exodus where all God's people are rescued from the ultimate slavery of death. Is the transfiguration, this transformation for Jesus' benefit? I think so. 
But I also think this was a gift that Peter, James, and John didn't know they had received until after Jesus was crucified and rose again. The impact of the transfiguration didn't seem to fully hit Peter, James, and John until after Jesus had risen. And maybe we could suggest that Jesus wasn't the only one changed by the experience up the mountain. Peter, James, and John were too. It just took them a while to realize it. Peter, who first identifies Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, but yet also who denies him, is revealed after Jesus' resurrection as the one who follows Jesus through suffering, rejection, and to his death as a martyr. James and John, known as the sons of thunder, due to their fiery tempers. When they come down the mountain, they ask Jesus if they should call down fire from heaven on an unhospitable village uh, who doesn't provide hospitality to Jesus and his followers. And in Mark's uh, gospel, uh, it tells us that they also ask Jesus if they could sit at his left hand and his right hand in glory, still having this kind of... Uh, not having grasped what the experience at the mountain really was about. Yet, after Jesus' resurrection, James is one of the first martyrs being beheaded by Herod, which is actually, you can read about it in Acts chapter 2, verse 2. And John, his brother, perhaps the most extreme metamorphosis, goes from a man of temper and strife to the beloved disciple of Jesus, the one who writes of love as the only way to live. So what about us? What can this passage offer us today? What do we think of when we hear the word glory? Is it achieving our goals like NIMS and receiving the recognition we believe is rightfully ours? Not that there's anything wrong innately with wanting to achieve positive goals and to be recognized for our contributions. But if we define ourselves by our achievements or only seek the approval of others, we miss out on discovering our real glory that of being a loved, known child of God. For that is what glory is all about, being fully revealed for who you are. This is the only glory that ultimately matters, being counted as a follower of Jesus. But as Jesus' disciples we should expect suffering, rejection, and even death. But yet also the hope of life beyond the grave. Glory that is found up the mountain, yes, 
but also on the cross. And when in prayer we experience mountaintop moments that God, with God, that is what they are, moments. They are transitory, fleeting. We cannot remain on the mountaintop indefinitely. And any mountaintop experience is not an end in itself. It is to strengthen us for taking up our cross and following Jesus. Perhaps can I invite us all to set our faces towards this season of Lent beginning on Ash Wednesday, leading us towards Good Friday, that we may be more impassioned to seek God's presence, yes, on the mountaintop, to intercede for the situation in Ukraine and for ourselves, knowing that in prayer, transformation does happen so that we are strengthened to go out in the grit and the grime of the everyday life carrying our cross, knowing that our glory is not up a mountaintop, but it's following Jesus, knowing that we are known, loved children of God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. New talks will be uploaded every week from all of our services. And do check out our website, stjohnshoxton.org.uk, for more information.